We spent the previous two days sleeping and eating to the point of disgust. These little birds, which were so delicious the first time we ate them, were forced to ease the pace as our accumulated digestion and tiredness are weighing us down. Today, after half a day's descent along the northern flank, we finally reach the Carmony Forest. The scarlet foliage of this jungle tells us that there's more to come. The cries of animals that flee behind a thicket. A horde of birds that breaks the silence as it takes flight. Giant mushrooms that drive anyone who breathes in their spores crazy with rage. Carnivorous plants with a corrosive sap. Colonies of red ants that devour everything in their path. Leeches by the legion that chew on our ankles. Armies of mosquitoes, multicolored snakes, and poisonous frogs and toads dotting the branches of the great liana trees. This array of dangerous wonders sounds like a blessing, because even though they're land-based, they're still living creations of nature, just like us. And life is always better than stone. The sweltering heat has returned, so comfortable compared to the nights spent up there freezing crammed in front of a paltry fire. Of course, the novelty will soon fade, but for now, let's try to enjoy it. In the distance, the sun finally breaks through the darkness as we finish the last batch of birds. The orange star embellishes the garnet of the foliage, and the Carmenet forest is literally bleeding golden halos. We'll set up camp and sleep in the warmth for the first time in a week. As I lie down on the soft carpet of leaves, I hear Amanaka taking his turn at guard duty. He won't sleep. It's very timely because I have a strange feeling that we're being watched. We've probably slept for a few hours, four or five at most. The sun's already at its zenith when I open my eyes. It's hot as hell in this living furnace. I wipe the sweat from my forehead and stretch. Shackney and Sleek have brought back all kinds of berries, roots and fruits, which I will have to sort for the group as I am the only one with enough botanical knowledge. Tea is boiling on the stove. I pour myself a cup. The amount of edible plants seems ridiculous once I've done my sorting, while taking care to save the more toxic wonders for my potions. We decide to throw the remaining starlings away so their rotting bodies don't attract any predators. Finally, we carefully cover the ground fire once all the preparations are complete and take a few minutes to get our bearings. Amanaka draws a map of the surrounding area in the earth with a branch. This is the northern door we used over a week ago. Then we took this direction. He draws a line and repeats. And here is the mage, then the cliffs that abut the sea. That elbow further up is where we fought the Fifkis. Finally is the region of gray stone where we had the starlings. We're right here, at the start of the Carmine Forest, and we're going to this area. He draws a circle on the edge of the Adelar border. We'll head to this neutral territory, bordered by the Adelar lands, the Ansem lands, and our lands. This is the crossing! Precisely. And we're far from home, so be careful. Not at home, nor abroad. Exactly. You can meet absolutely anyone there. Ansem, Idolar, or worse, mercenaries, or even Drogar scouts, even though they're fairly rare. 
Once we've reached the crossing, we'll have to return to the southeast to reach the primordial lands of the Mondracorns. We move forward in single file on improvised paths that were traced a few hours ago. I'm in the lead, and I cut through the vegetation with my halberd. At least, that's what it looks like. In reality, I could rip this jungle to shreds with my bare hands without too much trouble. But something keeps me from putting my weapon away. I'm on shift. Everyone is sleeping. That's when I feel an abnormal vibration in my sonar. A different presence from the rodents, birds, and other small animals that populate the jungle at night. I know it's very close to us, because unlike my father, I can only extend my perception to about 20 strokes, unlike his several hundred. The presence only lingers for a few seconds. I can't determine the size. It could be huge or human-sized, but everything looks blurry. This entity's ability to dissipate with such skill is quite disturbing. I naturally stiffen, and she evaporates immediately. If it's not fatigue and my imagination playing tricks on me, then I'd rather show off my ability with a gun. There's no need to worry about any others, so we just move on. Four hours of walking pass without incident, and by the middle of the afternoon we approach the Adlar border. No suspicious presence appears in my sonar. We decide to take a break before heading down the line. We get the berries out and have a quick snack. Wedged into the ochre roots of a large tree. Why didn't we cut straight north from the crag shores, huh? We'd be there by now! Why are we climbing to the northwest and making a loop to go back down south? I'm just saying. I thought about that, but the route's too risky. It's not easy to find a path in the territory of the Mandracorn. There are no roads. There's risk of missing it, spending days searching. Not to mention the risk of running into the Lindra's lair. I prefer to rely on places we know. Once you reach the crossing, you can't go wrong. It's a day's walk south. On the return journey, we'll take the other way around. By the way, Rexus, have you come up with a plan for the Mondracorn? I've been working on it for two days. I think attacking it at the same time is a mistake. Our cancer will keep her distance. She'll send him a volley of needles to annoy him. Shackney, I want you in the second line with your boomerangs. Amanaka, you're on the front line with me. It's time to collect. Sleek will cover the blind spots we create. No problemo! I'm not so sure about that, Sleek. He won't let himself be pushed around, and remember, he's very smart. He'll surely try to attack our cancer who will be the most isolated. At least that's what I expect. Ark, I hope you can run fast. I'm one of the Turtle Clan. I was joking. Squealer humor. The others will need to arrive in time to protect you. But what do I do when he tries to flatten me? Shagney will have riddled the place with poisonous sea urchins. And then there's me, and I've got a special tree for him. If all goes well, he'll suffer maximum damage from this combined attack. The poison will slow him down. He'll start to tire. 
We'll keep the pressure on and finish him off the second he falters. Basically, that's all I can plan for, assuming it's us who surprises him and not the other way around. Suddenly, I hear a rustling sound from my right. It's about ten meters away. The leaves are moving around more and more. Everyone's on guard. Shockney and I draw our weapons. Sleek has charged his body up, and Rexus is ready to pounce. Oh, what fresh hell is this? Will we never get a break? I'm the crybaby. <laughs> shut up, Sleek. For the love of the seas, shut up. No one's really answering the question because we're all focused on the ground that is starting to tremble beneath our feet. Several gasps intermingle with grunts that soon collide in a feral cacophony. These things don't know we're here. Or they don't care and don't fear us. Probably a dozen or so in number, they clash, dig into the earth, and smash tree trunks. The whole jungle starts to shake before us as if being buffeted by something. And we wonder, what's gonna come out? It's a horde of scroffs! Get out of the way! I have no intention of stepping aside, and it looks like Rexus doesn't either because he doesn't move an inch to my right. He cocks his fist. When the scroffs come within five strokes of our position, they're about as quiet as a minor earthquake. At my signal, Shockney sends a boomerang with all her might into the ferns. One animal squeals in anger. Soon the whole pack is growling in unison. The forest churns in front of us. You need to be careful with the Scroft defenses. They rub them against trees whose bark and sap are poisonous. If they don't disembowel you, a simple cut is just as devastating. They swarm and beat the ground with their sharp hooves. I tighten my grip on the handle of my halberd, prepare myself to greet the feral pack. The pack of giant boars will come at us in a straight line. While individually, they may seem harmless, a pack of them can devastate anything in its path, including us. The charge sounds. They enter our field of vision at full speed. With a powerful blow of my pike, I knock out the first one who crosses my path. But he won't die so easily. Rexus strikes a second one in the thickest part of the hide, so the shape of his fist is imprinted in the shattered ribs of the beast, which is still alive. He finishes him off with a second blow above the neck to put him out of his misery. The scrub's hide is thicker than the bark of a tree, and the turtle's needles are powerless against it. She stays back, posted behind a tree at Shockney's side. The axolotl breaks a few limbs, and thus the pace of the charge with her boomerangs. Sleek has wrapped himself around a fourth, and is attacking him with all his power. But the scroff is resisting like a fiend, and is bucking wildly to get rid of the eel. The panicked animal runs out of the way at full speed, and disappears into the tall grass with Sleek on his back. Shouting, Die, you damn pig, die! In a clumsy rodeo. The rest of the pack eventually gets around us and don't waste any time making a hasty exit. We've managed to get three scroffs, but we are deliberately releasing the youngest one on my order because we've already taken enough such creatures and I can't stand waste. Where's Sleek again? He was taken in that direction. Why didn't he let the animal go? Ah, you know him. He can be pretty stubborn when he puts his mind to it. He won't let go until the beast is down. The problem is that the Scroffs aren't afraid of electricity, with their bark-like skin and hooves as hard as wood. So Sleek 
could be miles away. The track climbs to the north, and it's pretty easy to follow. Rexus points out a raggedy path of crushed ferns. Strangely, no one's complaining. I load the two scarves on my back, and we set off down the track, not really knowing where it'll take us. We follow the tracks and tufts of fur lost in the brambles for over five hours. Eventually, find the eel covered in scratches and bruises. Ah, luck wasn't on my side. That's normal, stupid. The Scroffs don't fear you. Yeah, I kind of get that. You carried me around like a feather. If I hadn't been smart enough to jump, I'd be on the other side of the world by now. Smart, huh? We've been looking for you for five hours now. What gear did you plan on letting go? Silence, you two. Listen. I heard it too. It is the song of the dead. At first, I think it's tinnitus. I could get after really deep sea diving. But as we go on, the sound gradually intensifies. The Song of the Dead. As our shaman call it, it sounds on the Adelar border when the wind rises. The deered sound is like a host of cacophonous squeaks. A disjointed melody carried by the wind that invades the forest. Let's take a look. Huh, no way I'm gonna walk that line. As long as you don't cross the border, you'll be safe. As the future king of the crag, I need to see this place with my own eyes. We'll walk along until we get to the crossing. It won't necessarily be pleasant, but I repeat, nothing can happen to us as long as we stay on the right side. And that's an order from your prince, by the way. I let some time pass and then resume. Everyone needs to get ready. No one comes within 50 strokes of the line. We stay discreet, we move quickly. As we advance, the song becomes clearer. Hundreds of squeaks whistle in every tone. The most worrying thing is the putrid smell that pervades the atmosphere. In a few minutes we see the line, a section of jungle that has been raised to the ground to form a barren strip of land that's supposed to symbolize the border. When the trees give way to this yawning clearing, the sight before us freezes. Without exception, no one's ever ready for such a macabre picture. Fucking weird. I'm gonna throw up. Now I understand the source of the creaking as another gust of wind rushes through the line, causing the decomposing corpses to sway at the end of their ropes. The difference in tone is explained by the size and age of what is hanging there. Mostly curious crag fishermen, unfortunates who were carried away by the currents in the wrong direction. Human soldiers still in armor, Probably handsome. Dead people by the hundred dangling at the end of their ropes. Some of them missing their heads, hanging by their feet, others by their throats. Swarms of flies can be seen around the hanged. I had ordered my team to stay a safe distance to prevent them from seeing the expression and the rod on the faces of our fellow human beings. But I have to observe and learn what horror really is, if I ever want to lead with dignity. I do know, however, that Mantis Shrimp have perfect vision, and that Rexus doesn't miss a second of the show from his vantage point. 
I keep an eye on a worried Shakni, who, I guess, is scanning the bodies for her brother. I also inspect the corpses one by one. It's a horrible sight, but it has to be done. Axolotls are easily identifiable by their unusual morphology and pinkish hue. There's no sign of either of them, and it's a relief not to find Rukin hanging from a tree. Adalar scum! Silence, Eel. We're not welcome here. Can we get out of here now? No. I need to see it all to get an idea. If you want to stay a little longer, then fine, but I'm gonna walk the line. We'll go with you. We start walking again. I insist on reactivating my sonar, but there's nothing on the horizon. Even if some Adlar sentries might be lurking on the other side of the border, a few dozen strokes from here, they're much too far away. I can't see anything. Rex's is tense. I think his eyesight means he can see some of them, but he doesn't think it necessary to tell us about them, something I'm grateful for. I quickly stop inspecting the corpses. I prefer to keep an eye on Shackney, who's observing the bodies in detail as she moves along. Eventually the line starts to run out of corpses, and the song of the dead fades, but remains as the tension subsides. The one that most concerns me is Sleek, who hasn't spoken for over an hour. Uh, the eel has seen something and fallen into a tense silence that was quite perceptible to anyone who knows him at all. After another hour of silent walking, the sun begins to descend and the temperature becomes milder. A few more days and we'll have the crossing in our sights. The four days spent on the border were strangely peaceful, except for Sleek, who's just beginning to relax and regain the ability to speak. We feasted like kings on the scroffs, and we still have a few rations left. We don't even pay attention to the songs of the dead that made us sweat so much those first two nights. <laughs> it's surprising how the mind gets used to horror. As for being in the Carmine forest on the first night, I suppose I must have been dreaming. All we need now is to come across Alindra, and we're cooked! If you're gonna talk like that, you can just shut up. No, really, Alindra? You think the five of us would stand a chance, huh? If it's a female, maybe. A male, on the other hand, is a completely different prospect to a mandricorn. I think we'd suffer a few losses. But let's stop talking about Lindra. If there were any in the area, they would have attacked by now. He's abruptly cut off when a dull moan is heard in the distance. Everyone shuts up and listens intently. At first, I'm relieved to hear that the sound isn't coming from the Adelar lands. But it's worrying all the same. Sounded like a grunt a hundred strokes from our position. Big beast. Although we're not in the territory of the Mondricorns. Well, it doesn't seem to be heading our way. But I think we should take a sneaky look. If it's a Mondracorn, then we know the plan. Yeah, but what if it is a Lindra? It won't be a Lindra. I'm convincingly aware that we can't pass up the opportunity of meeting a Mondracorn who strayed a bit far from its land. As we move forward at a snail's pace, the growling gets louder. 
Soon we're ten strokes from the beast. Carefully clearing a thorny bush, we finally see the creature. Suddenly, with no time to react, a figure appears on our right. Who goes there? The Ansem patrol that surprises us wears a strange armor. The famous Sarmé steel, black and matte, of which only their Ansem smiths hold the secret. An Ansem. He points a spear at us, decorated with copper arabesques, which seems to contain a strange mechanism. He's not so impressive, but his attitude is hostile, so we need to be careful. I pull out two needles by reflex. I'll aim for the gaps in the knee pads. The groaning has died down. It turns out it was actually the humming of a second massive patrolman. He's a head taller than Amanaka, and from the strange symbols on his bracelets, I reckon he must be the leader, as he's the only one who has the luxury of a camp bed and is stripped of his armor. Two other patrolmen grab their guns and approach. The brute tells them to lower their weapons. We can't even take a nap these days, huh? <laughs> Who the fuck are you? Not your enemy, big guy. Put it down. Oh, forgive me for welcoming you with my ass hanging out, but we're running out of spare clothes. It's not a holiday camp out here, guys. Corporal Jensen, under the command of Captain of the Ark Royal Guard. Ha! He scratches his head with his huge hands, lifts his jaw covered with a thick gray beard, and scans Amanaka briefly. Jensen, by your magnificent halberd, you must be from the royal family. Amanaka is... Oh, damn, we poor peasants are in the presence of a celebrity, I see. Ooh. The prince steps forward to face him. Seconds pass, and he decides to break the silence. You're well informed. I am Amanaka, first son of King Akuyandi. Should I consider you an enemy, Corporal Jensen? Jensen holds his gaze. Uh, then no. he laughs loudly. <laughs> you youngster. Come, better have a glass with us instead. It's not that we're bored around here, but apart from boozing and standing around, there's nothing to do. Bit of company arrest won't hurt anyone. And looking at your half-dead droger faces, you could use it. Stu taking the piss. He's not an enemy, Sleek. The Ansem support the sovereignty of Akiyandi. Not to mention that Hawk, captain of the Royal Guard, is a very old friend of my father. Corporal Jensen, it will be my pleasure. Well, don't be shy. Move your ass over here and tell me what the hell you're doing in the jungle. He turns to the soldier who surprised us out of nowhere. Great job, Ribs. You've earned your dinner, asshole. Arnos will take over when he's done <laughs> yawning and, and scratching his balls. Take your position, you lazy bastard. Oh, you have to tell these kids everything. I just can't. Artos gives us a timid military salute and heads into the jungle. You, what's your name again? Continues Jensen towards the third soldier, the youngest among them. Lifson, Corporal. Huh? Well, Lifson, don't you want to be useful? Huh? I'll keep you around and give massages, so move that pile of flabby jelly you call your ass. And go get us some wood! <laughs> Sleek stifles a laugh behind my back as we Sorry. move cautiously into the center of the camp. 
Ribs is busy with the packages. He takes out several sealed copper cans that appear to contain food, a large barrel, and baked clay mugs. Lifson soon returns with firewood and lights a fire on which Ribs places the rations. The sun is loudly fading and everything is getting humid. Soon leeches and mosquitoes start to swarm around us. I open a shaman's balm and place it on the floor. Whoa! You're doing a great job! Observes Jensen as he sniffs the contents of the jar. Well, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. What are you doing here? We are in the midst of the star trial. We're going to the trail of a mandricorn to beat him up and take his horns. If you want a hand, me and my guys like to fight. Ha! They may be smarter than most, but when it comes to fighting, they answer the call. Ha! Hmm. I appreciate the proposal, but it's a trial that the five of us must do alone. What are you doing so far from home? And from your captain? Tell us. Ah, orders come from above. Several handsome camps have sprung up near the costume in recent days, so we've been made to patrol this shithole. It's said that there's been some movement on the Adelar side lately. They're getting restless, but we don't really know what they're up to, so we're checking the borders to see if anything bad is brewing. And you didn't see anything unusual? Not a glimpse, sweetheart. Just juggling bleaches. To think we're here for two more weeks. Jensen grabs a mallet, smashes the lid of the barrel, and brusquely fills the glasses with a frothy golden liquid. I shouldn't be doing this, but I don't care. It's nothing like preparing good old Zadu after a hard day's work. Watch out, it'll knock your socks off. Here's to you, youngsters! He says, holding up his cup. It seems the Ansom have a custom of bumping their cups together before taking a first sip. Ah. The hours pass, and we drink slowly to save ourselves without offending the corporal who's drinking like there's no tomorrow. It wasn't me that's The liquid is bitter and contains a kind of sparkling foam. That was cat. The atmosphere has rarely been this joyful. The Ansom are curious hey, about our appearance, although they don't seem to be judging us. They ask us endless questions about our ability to swim, to breathe, swim. and communicate in water, to fight, to blow glass, about King Krog's water? temperament, about the trials. They describe the beauty of the great walled city in which they were born, at the foot of a cliff which, in their words, is gigantic and discharges a river of fresh water better. that cleaves the city in two. The yours. art of forging, the use of steam, and their engineering of compressed air seems wondrous, and they have nothing to envy the secrets of our shamans. Jensen tells us about his daughter and his wife. The tavern fights with the brass after each patrol, the Adelar ambushes, and his encounter with the despicable Drawhulk, king of the Drogors, which almost cost him his life. The corporal is getting pretty drunk, and ends up demonstrating the use of his axe which is as big as he is. He operates the mechanism. It whistles and out. gives off jets of steam. <laughs> he prepares his shot and then sends a powerful strike into a tree, which he slices in half. See that? I could swear he operated a small valve when he took his blow. And if so, his timing was impressive. Unbelievable genius! <laughs> right? Huh? He's called the Hydro Strike. 
The name is pretty cool, even if I don't know how it works. I press right when I need to, and the heads go. If you don't activate the thruster at the right time... He scratches his beard as if to illustrate his thoughts and continues. Ribs! Come and look at this pickaxe head! The infantryman retreats at military pace and stands to attention in front of Jensen. I don't want you to bow and scrape. I'll take my gun and, and shoot that tree right now. Um, I don't know how it works, Corporal. It's like chopping logs. Just push the button with him on his strike, okay? Go! Ribs drags the weapon, which is too heavy for him, and plants himself in front of the trunk. He clumsily swings the axe, only just avoiding being knocked off balance and propels the axe blade a good distance away from the trunk. The pressure contained in the mechanism expels a large cloud of steam and Ribs is carried through the air, suspended on the axe, carried away by the inertia of the movement. He falls back a few strokes further with a thud. Coordination, strength, and training. Ah, that's the secret, kid. But... You'd miss a fish in a barrel, that asshole. <laughs> and you, Snake, I hear you have a strange power, like lightning or... Yeah, something like that. Hey, do you want to demonstrate it on ribs to stop him dozing off? Shock him! <laughs> on your friend? Nope, not a good idea. I'll show you on a bug instead. That'll be less of a pain. Okay. Sleek moves away from the balsam, then rolls around in the mud before letting two dozen leeches cling to him and sink their fangs into his flesh. Thin streams of blood flow down the bites. Greedy little creatures. It's a good thing I drank your stuff. I don't feel much. That's disgusting. The eel returns to the middle of the circle. Let him do it. I, I'm curious. Okay. Ready? Without waiting for a response, he increases the electrical tension dormant in his muscles, Whoa. and the leeches still cling to the skin begin to wiggle in all directions, rearing up and contorting their bodies. We can only guess at their pain because the maneuver is completely silent. Sleek increases the intensity, and the glow seems to emanate from under the skin. The parasites soon start to smoke and fall to the ground, half-burned. Jensen laughs, stamping his feet as if possessed by what appears to him to be magic. You're not the only one who can entertain the crowd, says the oxalotl. She then turns to the corporal. <laughs> the alcohol gives him a childish air. Impress me, kid. Shackney then takes the sword from the sleeping ribs. Show us what you got. She dances with it for a while. Jensen's alcohol is definitely not doing it for the crag. She strokes the edge of the blade with one of her fingers to check if it's sharp. Let's go. She murmurs as she places her finger on a stone. With a sharp blow, she slices it. Jensen's eyes open wide, dazed and overwhelmed. The oxalotl screams in pain and cowers. I scream to keep Jensen confused. She turns her back to us to stifle her scream and pretends to cry. Then she turns around and holds out her bloody hand. All her fingers are in place. And the hand is intact. One-eyed whore! How is that even possible? He points to the severed finger, looks at Shackney's hand. I don't get it! I'm an axolotl. That's the way we are. Our flesh is eternal, and it grows back like weeds. So I got you, right? I think that's enough for tonight. Corporal Jensen, we've got a long day tomorrow, and my friends need to rest. 
Okay, well, thanks for this evening, youngsters. You sleep well. Listen! Go and take your watch and call Artos back. If you find him sleepy, he's gonna have to contend with me! Sir! Sir.